Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for our precious brothers and sisters um, in South Asia, Lord, and all around the world who've dedicated themselves to your service. They've dedicated themselves to building your kingdom. And I pray specifically for them right now. I pray specifically, Father, for their strength and courage, sometimes in the midst of persecution. I pray specifically, Lord, right now, that you would do incredible things in their ministry, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to multiply their efforts. I pray that people would come to know you through salvation and churches would be planted. And I pray, Father, uh, in the words of Scripture, Father, that your glory would be made known around the world as the water covers the seas. Father, we love you and we trust you. Be with us now as we open the truth of your word. Speak to us very clearly. May your name be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin by thanking Jason. He'll be in our next service for preaching. I know he did a really good job the last two weeks. Because of modern technology, I was actually able to listen to him on the other side of the world by podcast. So Larry Ninus, wherever you are, thank you for that. Jason did a great job. I was excited to hear him preach. Excited to hear him uh, continue our study in the book of Genesis. Curtis, thank you for your words. I appreciate that, man. It's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's always an honor for me to be able to go. It's an honor for me to be able to serve beside godly men and women who are interested in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever they go, this trip was no different. Uh, God did some amazing things. The, the story that just keeps coming to my mind, Curtis told several good stories. The, the story that comes to my mind is that we continue to see when we go to this place, people are healed miraculously and they come to know Christ because of it. We met a guy this time who had been healed of blood cancer. Now he's telling us the story, right? He's got cancer. He's been to the doctor. Nothing they can do. No way they can save him. He's been to his local religious leader. Nothing they can do. He tried some other religious leaders. Nothing they could do. And he had this family, this local family, that had been inviting him to church on and off for the last several years. And he said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a try. He started attending church with them, they began to pray for him, and he was healed. He no longer has blood cancer. Through that, he came to know Christ, and members of his family came to know Christ. And now he's preaching and proclaiming and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I asked this same man about persecution. I said, tell us about persecution. Are you being persecuted? What are you feeling? And his words to us were very chilling to me. He said, oh, we're, we're not really facing persecution. We're not facing any problems. He said, really about the only thing that ever happens is people come around every now and then and beat us for our faith. But other than that, there's no real persecution. You know, God is doing some pretty amazing things there. And I want to challenge you, as Curtis did, to continue to pray, to continue to keep those people first and foremost in your thoughts, to remember our missionaries, specifically that they'll do great work and that God will do amazing things through them. It's an amazing trip. I'm happy to be back. In fact, I, I want to tell you, I wore a shirt this morning. I kind of got a funny story with this shirt. I, I would like to buy something when I go and wear it when I come back to kind of remind you that I've been gone and kind of remind myself too when I, when I look at it. But I was feeling pretty good about this shirt this morning when I rolled in until about 8.15, right before the 8.30 service started. And one of, our, one of our godly ladies, such a godly lady, I just have great respect for her. She's been here since the beginning. She hugged my neck, and she said, it's good to have you back. And she said, did you get that shirt over there? Yes, ma'am, I did. She said, it kind of looks sissy. (laughs) 
So. I'm rarely speechless, but at that moment. You know what I thought? I got to thinking about it after I was looking at it. I bet it was because it's, it's gold and white. <laughs> oh, oh I, bet, I bet it looks black and blue to some of you, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> Take your Bibles open to Genesis 2. Enough of that. Let's move forward. Genesis chapter 2, in the beginning, we are continuing to study through the book of Genesis. I'm excited about this series. Every time I read this word, it encourages me of what the Lord's doing. He's got a plan for our lives. Genesis 1 is a picture of creation. It's a picture of His glory. It's a picture of His plan. It's a picture of creating the earth in such a way that He's prepared it for us. Isn't that amazing? God said, I've I've taken this formless, void, empty place, and as the Spirit of the Lord hovers over the deep, He begins to form it and shape it and mold it. And then at the pinnacle of His creation, He places us into it. Genesis 2 talks about the Garden of Eden, and then it kind of it kind of rewinds back and it gives you this picture, this real clear picture of exactly how he created humanity. Jason delved into that a little bit the last few weeks in Genesis chapter 2, and I want to finish up Genesis chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 21 and we're going to finish out the chapter. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. So the Lord God calls the man, we're speaking of Adam here, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now these verses are all about the creation of Adam, and especially the creation of Eve. But even more importantly than that, it's about the relationship between the man and the woman, and ultimately about their relationship with the Lord. And so I want to give you truth this morning that we can pull from these passages of Scripture to help us better understand exactly what God's doing and exactly how He created us for purpose and with design on this planet. Here's truth number one. God created Adam and Eve in His image with different roles to complement each other. God created Adam and Eve in His image with different roles to complement each other. Now, if you're looking at your scripture, I want you to back up to verse 18. We don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it to you because it gives us a real clue to understand this creation. It gives us a real clue to help understand exactly what the Lord's doing. Verse 18 of Genesis 2 says this, The Lord God said, this is after he's created Adam, He said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, there's something very interesting about this passage of Scripture. If you've been following along with us in our study, all through Genesis chapter 1, every time the Lord created something, he looked upon it, and how did he describe it? Say it. Good. This is the only example in the creation account where the Lord looks upon something and he says, it's not good. Now, it's interesting to me that the thing he says is not good is that this man is alone. It's an indication again. It's a reminder again of the importance of fellowship. It's the importance of relationship. 
It's the importance of surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters that can hold us accountable and love us and keep us walking in the faith. But it's interesting here because God's going to speak to Adam and he's going to say, you know what, I've got this plan for you. Even though I've created you and even though you're alone, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. In fact, verse 18 says it's not good for man to be alone. And instead of kind of being an afterthought and instead of the Lord just kind of forgetting about man, instead we see that God again has a plan. Adam, you're alone. It's not good for you to be alone. And so I'm going to make a helper for you, verse 18. Now, that's a very interesting word, helper. And I, I want to think through that just for a few minutes because as we read this passage, one of the questions we ought to ask ourselves based on the truth of God's word is, what does it mean to be a helper to Adam? If Eve is created in the image of God equal with Adam, and she is, what does it mean that she's to be a helper to Adam? Well, we could spend a lot of time this morning flipping over to Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't want to do that right now. But, but, but one of the greatest passages of Scripture, in my opinion, And all the Bible about marriage is Ephesians 5. In fact, anytime I do counseling with couples that want to get married, the first thing that we always do is we begin in Ephesians chapter 5. Why? Because it's a perfect picture of godly marriage. It's a perfect picture of exactly who we're supposed to be, exactly what our marriage means, and what we see in that passage is ultimately our marriage is created to bring glory to the Lord. You understand that? Your marriage isn't about self-fulfillment. Your marriage isn't about all the things that maybe the world tells you it's about. Your marriage, very simply, is a picture of the glory of the Lord as Christ loves his church. That's what your marriage is for. So you ought to be living your lives within your marriage, men and women, to display the glory of the Lord to everybody that sees you. And so we're kind of given this distinction We see it in the book of Genesis in several different occasions. We see it in Ephesians 5. The man is called to be the spiritual leader of the house. He's called to love his wife and to literally be willing to give everything for her. Now that may mean his life. It may mean his time. It may mean his emotions. It may mean his effort. But he ought to be willing to give everything for her. Men, you ought to live your life in such a way that you ask yourself the question, every day within my marriage, how can I give myself to my wife? How can I serve her? How can I present her, as the scripture says in Ephesians 5, holy and blameless to the Lord, without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle? That's our calling in scripture, men, to lead and to love our wives and give everything for her. To the wife, she's called to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to, in the words of Genesis 2, help him according to the gifts. Now remember, the, the Lord has created them both in his image, And so we say they're equal in a sense that God has created them both in his image, but they're given different roles. They're required to do different things within the context of Scripture to bring glory to the Lord and to demonstrate the picture of Christ in his church to everybody that we'll see. Now I want to use a a little bit bit of an example in our life. Honey, I hope you're not mad at me for doing this. (laughs) Y'all are supposed to laugh with me to make me feel better. Just kidding. I've got a, I've got a godly wife. And I, I can say this in front of her. She knows I feel this way. And praise the Lord, she understands this biblical model of Ephesians 5. So many couples don't, by the way. Just a, a little side note. If you're having struggles in your marriage, start in Ephesians 5. Read it and then live it. I promise you things will change. I promise. Most problems I see within marriage is the husband and the wife don't understand their proper roles. 
But Ephesians 5 gives us this clear picture. And Amy and I both understand from Ephesians 5 that I'm the leader of the family. That's what the Bible says. Now, men, be careful before you start kind of feeling good about yourself and you're the leader. You're going to be held accountable as the leader. You understand that? You will one day stand before the Lord and he will absolutely hold you accountable for your leadership. If you're leading wisely, the Lord will probably be happy. If you're leading poorly, then he won't. When you lead wisely, good things happen in your family and your marriage. When you lead poorly, bad things happen. You can be a great leader or you can be a poor leader, but you are the leader. Now, my wife understands that. But I also understand that there are certain things that she can do that I can't do. She's good at a lot of things that I'm not good at. There's this long list. She's great at organization. If I walk into a room and there's a lot of clutter, I just kind of start, you know, I'm confused. I'm just kind of confused. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. She can walk in and just, just do this, do this, do this. She, she, under, she gets that. She's got this incredible ability to see right from wrong, kind of that prophetic model of the New Testament. She understands clearly this is right and this is wrong. She provides nurture and, and comfort in our home. And because she's good at these things, there are moments that I defer judgment to her. There are moments when I say, honey, you do it or you lead it or you take care of it because you know it better than I do. That's, that's a picture of what we ought to be about. The man is called to lead. The wife is called to help. They're both created in the image of God, but they're given different roles. And I believe with all my heart, when we function properly and biblically within those roles, God receives glory. And when we don't, bad things happen. And so I'll just ask you a question. You can just kind of put this in your notes. Maybe you can discuss it with your spouse over lunch or over dinner or sometime this week. How is your marriage, how are you and your spouse working together for the purposes of the Lord? How are you living like that? Some of you are saying, well, Adam, I'm single right now or, or I'm young. Or, I don't know. Well, then spend your time right now understanding. If you're looking for a spouse, understanding what this ought to look like. Spend your time growing in your walk with Christ. Don't, don't waste your life. God says, I've created you to be in fellowship. Maybe that means fellowship with other believers. Maybe eventually, eventually that's a, a spouse. But we're all created to be within relationship. And we're created in such a way that we're to bring glory to the Lord. Now let's continue verse 23. So we see that God has created, he's reached, and he's taken the rib. And there, there's so many interesting things about this that I don't have time to get into. But pulling the rib out of the flesh... Then the Lord God makes the woman. It's interesting because look at what the end of verse 22 says. He brings her to the man. Isn't that interesting? The Lord provides there. It's even a picture of his provision even in bringing the woman. Now verse 23. Then the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she will be called woman for she was taken out of man. Here's truth number two. God created Adam and Eve as perfect companions. God created Adam and Eve as perfect companions. Eve was designed, she was planned, she was created as a perfect companion for Adam. Now let's just remember what kind of happened here between verse 18 and verse 21. God said it's not good for man to be alone, I'm going to make a helper for him. And then the Bible says that God brings all the animals in front of Adam, right? He brings them by one by one. The Bible says that Adam sees them and he names them. And then at the end of verse 20, after he's seen all these animals, the Bible says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so God says, you're alone. There's, there's no helper. I'm going to create from you this woman. 
And I love the picture of of taking out the rib. It, It points to the closeness and the intimacy of Adam and Eve. One scholar said it like this. Just as the rib is found at the side of the man and is attached to him, even so the wife, the rib of her husband, stands at his side to be his helper, his counterpart, and her soul is bound up with his. God says, Adam, you're alone. I need to create for you a suitable helper. I'm going to create for you this woman. And then look at the response in verse 23. I think this is very interesting. This is the first time the man's going to speak that we're going to hear of at least. Now the NIV says it like this. I want you to listen to the difference. The man said, this is now bone of my bones. I, I think that's fair, but I like what the ESV says better. Here's what the ESV says. The man said, this at last... Is bone of my bones. It's kind of like he's saying, I've seen all these animals. I've seen all these other options. I've seen all these other alternatives. And finally, Lord, finally, this at last is the perfect companion. John Calvin said it like this. At last one has come who is suitable to be my partner. I love the way that Adam responds here because I remember the, the joy of asking Amy to marry me. Some of you remember that day. I'll never forget... I later found out, you know how guys, we think we're real cool and we got things figured out, right? Turns out she knew I was going to ask her that. She'd already told her roommates from college. They had this plan. She was going to call. I had none of this. I didn't know any of this. But I, it was spring and it was hot. And I was going to take her over to, to Rockridge. I asked her to marry me at, at Rockridge on top of the mountain there. Some of you have been to that mountain. We sat on that little ledge. And if you know anything about me, I'm real hot nature, and I sweat, and I wear t-shirts when it's, you know, 25 degrees, I want to have a t-shirt on. Well, it was warm that day, and I put on this big jacket, because I didn't have anywhere to hide the ring, right? So I'm this, you know, kind of goofy looking at this big jacket, and had a big pocket in the front, big old ring down there, zipping it back, and I was like, wow, feels good in this jacket, honey. Let's go to Rockridge and climb the mountain, right? Real cool, right? Looking back on it, like she'd have no idea what we were doing. So we get over to Rockridge, we climb up to the top, right? And we sit there and we're just talking and we're praying. And I read her this passage of Scripture in Genesis 2.18. I read it. I said, the Lord said, I'm looking at her, it's not good for man to be alone, right? I will make him a suitable helper. I read her that verse among other verses. And I asked her to marry me. And when she said, yes, I'll never forget, just kind of spontaneously, I just let this big yell out, woo! I was kind of doing the Ric Flair there up on the side of the mountain, you know, woo! I was just happy. I was, ex- I was excited. Ric Flair was an old wrestler, if you don't know, back in the 70s, okay? I, was, I, I understand Adam's position here. I understand what, when he sees that God had created, and God said, I've, I've done this for you, how happy you are. Again, I just, here, here's where we're boiling this down to. It's a picture of God's provision for us. You understand that? It's a picture that he created this world for our enjoyment, There's enjoyment there. God said, I'm going to give you this woman. I'm going to give you, Eve, this this perfect, suitable companion. If you listen to how one writer explained it, I love the way he says it. He says, the woman was stunning. She was the prototype of all women fresh from the well of creation. Every aspect of her was perfect. She was perfect in body. She was perfect in soul. And she was perfectly sinless. Adam was happy because the Lord, again, had taken this formless world, empty, and he had designed it and prepared it and created within it this man and this woman that perfectly fit together in this intimate, beautiful relationship designed by the Lord. Matthew Henry said it like this, Eve was not made out of his head to top him. 
She was not made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I think that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a picture of the provision of the Lord taking the rib from Adam, creating the woman, and making for him this perfect companion as they work together to accomplish the will of the Lord. Now verse 24 as we continue on this morning. For this reason, right? Because God has created them in his image. He's given them different roles. He's called them to different responsibilities. They're perfect for each other. For this reason, now in verse 24, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here's truth number three. God united Adam and Eve as one flesh in marriage. God united Adam and Eve as one flesh in marriage. Look again at verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now we can say this. Let's begin to draw some truth just out of this text under this heading of marriage. We can say with certainty that the first institution that God ordained was the institution of marriage, right? Before God ordained the church, before he set up the church... Before he set up a government, before he set up any sort of a social system, the first thing that God did is he created marriage. Marriage, if we kind of logically think through this, is the foundation of the family, right? You got to first have a marriage to have a family. A strong marriage equals a strong family. A struggling marriage equals a struggling family. One commentator explained it like this. What we have in the Eden narrative is the origins of the fundamental institution of ancient Israel's life, the family. So if you begin to read through the Old Testament, you study the Old Testament, you, you find out very quickly that the family was foundational to society of the Old Testament. It just was. Everything was built around the family. Now, I still believe that the family is foundational to our society today. I think when we have strong families... I think we'll have strong society. I think when families begin to struggle, society begins to struggle. Now look again at verse 24 with me. A man leaves his father and his mother, he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage is about this becoming one, right? It's about deep commitment. It's about deep intimacy within the confines of marriage. Now I just want to pause for a second. I want to speak to our students, okay? So if you're a student, if you're a high school student or a college student or you're single right now, I want you to listen to what I have to say. I'm going to speak to you truth out of the Word of God. Intimacy and oneness between a man and a woman is reserved for marriage. Period. God's plan for a man and a woman to enjoy oneness and closeness and intimacy comes after marriage. Sexual relations... Outside of marriage is a sin. Period. That's what the Word of God says. Now I want to address something just for a couple of minutes because I know this is prevalent in our society. I hear it. I'm a little bit older, but trust me, I hear it. I hear it. I know what's going on there. There's this tendency in our world to think about physical oneness before marriage. And there's this alarming trend, in my mind at least, of these couples, these young couples especially, moving in together before marriage. I've seen it over and over. You may have seen it. 
Students, you need to understand something very clearly from God's word. That's not God's plan. Now here's guys, I'm going to speak to you guys because I can. Because I am a guy and I was 18 once. I'm going to talk to you just for a second, okay? Here's what you're saying. Oh, but Adam, I just love her so much. I just, I just love her so much. I want to be with her and we're eventually going to get married. I, I just love her so much I can't stand to be alone. Let me just speak truth just for a second into your life. If you're thinking about having relations with her before you're married, you don't love her so much. You love yourself so much. Let's just be honest. You know why? Because if you loved her so much, you would want to love her the way the Scripture commands you to love her. Ephesians 5 says you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. If you love her that much, make the commitment to give yourself up for, right? Marry her. Because your calling in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, men, is this. To make her, this is your spouse, holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If you really loved her, you would want to present her to the Lord as holy, wouldn't you? If you really loved her, you would want to present her to the Lord as without wrinkle. If you really loved her, you'd want to present her to the Lord without stain and without blemish. Instead, when you say that you love her by moving in with her and doing things you shouldn't do, what you're really saying is, I don't really love you, I love myself, and I'm going to draw you away from the things of the Lord because what we're doing is not holy. I think we just need to stand on that truth, folks. And I'll promise you something else. Having children now, there will come a day, if, you're, if you've moved in or done things with your boyfriend or girlfriend you shouldn't have done before marriage, there'll come a day when you pray your kids don't do the same thing. Amen? Amen. It's true. Let me just say one other thing because I know there are people in here, there are students in here that are, that are probably feeling brokenhearted right now. Oh, Adam, I know you're right. I know that, but I've made this mistake. I've made this mistake. Let me just promise you one thing. Christ will forgive you. Christ will absolutely forgive you. And you need to make a commitment. If you've done this and you wish you hadn't, you've repented of your sin, you ask for the forgiveness of the Lord, and then you make this commitment to the Lord and to whoever you're dating from this moment forward, this is not going to happen again before I'm married. I promise you the Lord will bless you. The, the, the picture in Scripture of a man and woman uniting together is, is a beautiful picture within the confines of marriage. And so if you've got a good marriage right now and you're doing the things the Lord's called you to do, continue on. Be an example to those that don't have. Continue to kind of keep your guard up and continue to, to seek the Lord in all things. If you're not married, if you're a student or maybe you're single or you're, you're not married for whatever reason at this time, you spend this time dealing with the issues of the Lord. You spend this time growing in your faith and growing with your walk and you, you prepare yourself even now to be holy and to be pure those of you that are struggling with marriage, I know there are people in here right now that struggle. Seek Christ. Seek the word of the Lord. Seek the truth of the gospel. There's a clear model in scripture of how you ought to lead your life. Read it and study it and understand it. Now I want to finish with, with another topic here. I, I just feel real led to do this and I, I want to be careful here because this is such a, a hotly debated topic. But I think when we're in Genesis chapter 2 and we're thinking about God's covenant for marriage, I think it's important for us to think about this idea of homosexual marriage. It's a big deal in our society right now. I read the same accounts you read. I listen to the same newscasts you listen to. I go to the same websites that you're going to. I see these things and I understand that it's a big problem in our society right now. There's great debate. It's causing great disunity within our society. Our Supreme Court this summer will take up this issue of homosexual marriage. 
And I just want to remind you before we kind of see exactly what the Scripture says to, to remember just a couple of very clear things. Whenever we're faced with a very difficult situation or a very difficult issue or something in society that's confusing, we, confusing, we should never make decisions based on our emotions. We should never make decisions based on our personal preferences We should never make decisions based on popular opinion. Why? Because all those things are going to change. All those things are going to change. If we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must think biblically. And we must make decisions based on the Word of God. Period. So three things very quickly as I finish up this morning as we think about homosexual marriage. Number one. First thing, as Christians, we need to love people in spite of what they believe. I personally believe that the great failure of a lot of Christians and the great failure of the modern church has been to act rudely and unlovingly towards this lifestyle. That is a sin. Period. You don't have to agree with somebody what somebody believes or says to love them. That's not who Christ was. Thank goodness he loved people different than he was, right? Thank goodness he gave his life for the sinner because guess what? That's you. Well, we have this tendency for whatever reason to take this kind of holier-than-thou stance and we want to kind of hammer people knowing full well there's all kind of sin in our life we're not dealing with. And we don't want to love these people in the name of Christ. So let's just start there. Let's just say regardless of who you are, we love you, period. We love you very simply because you're created in the image of God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing we need to understand. From the beginning, marriage was God's idea. He instituted marriage. He planned marriage. He designed marriage. It wasn't the state's idea. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. God took the initiative to shape and to form and to design and to create this man and this woman for perfect intimacy, right? This idea is foundational to our idea of marriage. It wasn't anybody's idea other than the Lord. So there's only one real authority that can speak into marriage and that's the creator. Now having said that, truth number three, the Bible's clear. Marriage is designed from the beginning to be between one man and And one woman. That's the truth of scripture. God defines love. God defines relationships. God defines marriage. We don't get to define those things. We don't get to step outside of the truth of the word and say, you know, I know it says one thing, but I'm going to believe something else. Now, some of you are already thinking, oh, Adam, there's just, there's so many people out there in our society that, that approve of this, and, and the world is in favor of it, and, and the courts are in favor of it, and everybody's moving in this direction. That may be. Every person may be in favor of this, but it's contrary to the word of God. And if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to fear God and not fear man. You say, why does it matter, Adam, if two people care about each other? If two people love each other, it shouldn't be any of my bit. Why, why do I care how they live? Because it's contrary to the word of God. Period. We've become a society where this doesn't matter anymore. And we're just sweeping more and more things under the rug because we don't want to deal with it when the Word of God is very clear. 
Why can't we say that somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they're really nice, and they're really kind, and they're a really good person, why can't we say that that person's going to go to heaven? Well, if it were up to me, we would. If it were up to Adam, we would let everybody in. But that's not what the Word of God teaches. And when it comes to issues that are difficult, we must be mature believers. And we always got to hold truth to the foundation of God's Word. Now, we've already seen this morning as we kind of wind this thing down. God has created Adam and Eve in His image. He's created them with different roles to complement each other. He's created them as perfect companions to work together to accomplish God's plan. God has united Adam and Eve in this beautiful picture of of one flesh in marriage. And he's placed them in this garden. And he's placed them in relationship with each other, husband and wife, with God at the center of their life. Now remember, God looked at everything after he created them in this relationship. And he said that it was what? Very good. Truly paradise. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. When God's word guides your life, and when God's word guides your relationships, when God is at the center of everything that you do, it's always very good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clear picture you've given us, Father. It's not always easy. It's not always popular, Lord, but help us have the backbone to stand up to it. Lord, it's truth. Help us to see the picture of marriage and what it is. Help us to understand the intimacy is within marriage. It's not before marriage, Lord. Help us to understand that we're created as perfect companions, not so we can be fulfilled, but so we can bring you glory. Help us understand that marriage is a clear picture of one man and one woman regardless of what somebody else may say. There's truth in your word, Father. You give us the ability to to understand this truth And then apply this truth to our lives for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next few minutes. If you want to come and pray at the altar, it's open. If you want to repent of your sinfulness and accept Christ, or maybe you want to join the church, this is your time to respond. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.